aware of it. Um, thanks so much for praying for me. It's been a kind of a battle. I, I ended up Sunday night going to the emergency room, and they tested me, made sure I didn't have H1N1 or any of the exotic flus. So they said, you know, if you have a flu, it's a, it's a boring one. And um, so then I went home and had a rough night, and then the next day I started, um, my legs started hurting, and I have this infection. I won't show it to you. I was going to wear shorts just to gross people out, but um, so uh, I went to the doctor today, and they ran a bunch of tests, and they'll hopefully on Friday when I go back, they're going to figure out what it is, but they gave me a strong antibiotic, so I, I think I'll be good as new on Sunday, but keep praying, but I appreciate your prayers, and, and uh, you know, I don't appreciate spending my day answering emails telling people thanks for praying for me but i but i do appreciate <laughs> that people are praying for me and um and so that's really that's very very special to me it means a lot to me let's turn to second corinthians chapter 4 as we're continuing our journey through second corinthians In chapter 3, Paul was talking about the glory of the new covenant. He was talking about the fact that discovering the gospel, the real meaning of the gospel, the real meaning of grace, what, a, what an incredibly important thing that is to grasp, and what a paradigm shift it is in your life when you understand the reality that in the new covenant, his law is inside you, it's not outside you, it's not about you know, trying to please people, or even trying to be good enough to please God. It's about realizing Jesus pleased God, and because of that, God is pleased with you if you've just given your life to him. And so he finished the chapter off with that amazing verse, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to greater glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord." God is doing a work in our lives, and we, as we look into his word and we see his glory, then we can also look into the mirror and look at our own lives with a real honest assessment, and we realize grace really works. There really is something happening in my life. I really am seeing God glorified in my life in a way that I haven't before, in a way that could never happen by living under a legalistic sort of a system something that the children of Israel never knew anything about, we get to see, we should see, every time we look in the mirror and every time we look in the Word of God, to see God's hand working in our lives, taking us from glory into a much more increased glory. And that's the experience of someone who is really living with an awareness of, of grace. Someone who understands what it is that the gospel means, and that freedom that comes from, from being relieved from the pressure and realizing that Jesus paid it all, as the old song says, all to him I owe. And so we move from that into chapter 4, and he says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as he had said earlier, our job is to let people see God's grace in us, that when they see our failures, they see God's grace. When they see us doing well, they see God's grace. It's all about his grace. And that's, that's like a, a one-string tune that we play. And since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be discouraged with ourselves. It's easy to be discouraged by others, it's easy to be discouraged by events that happen that are outside of our control. It's, it's a simple thing to look at our lives and go, oh man, this just isn't going the way I planned. But remember, coming to Jesus means you give up your plans. Now there is that glorious grace, there is that incredible freedom that comes in Christ. And once you really taste that, you don't ever want to go back but you have given up something. You have given up your, your selfishness. You've decided that whatever he does is what you want. 
You want his plan for your life, plain and simple. And boy, sometimes we look at that and we just go, why? Why is this happening? Why does that have to happen at this time? But he says, knowing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Knowing that he had ministry and knowing what God had done for him allowed him to not lose it, allowed him to not fall apart completely when circumstances that he was in often would have caused, we would sometimes say, lesser men, but really people who are less aware of either their calling or their mercy would just cave in. If you're losing it, a good thing to back up and have a look at is remember God's mercy. You're going through a tough time, remind yourself of what you deserve. Remind yourself of what you could have been. All the times that God bailed you out when it could have really messed you up bad. Compared to what we deserve, what we have isn't much. We really, God is merciful to all of us. We all have so much more than, than he owes us. But then secondly, to know that you have a ministry, this ministry of spreading grace, of allowing people to see it, to understand it, to experience it for themselves. And there's nothing more rewarding than to see someone light up with grace. Even someone who's been a Christian for a long time, but they've been laboring under a legal burden. And then you see they start to get it. And it's like, I can't believe, I mean, it's like having a light turned on and to be involved in helping someone to do that is the greatest thing in the world. And so the best thing that we can do as a ministry is to share with people God's grace and mercy. It's really, it's really a, a message that we all need to share. And sometimes the way we share it is by showing, sharing with people what God has done for us. Despite difficulties, despite challenges, despite problems, to be bearers of grace to be ministers of the new covenant, to be those who can't wait to tell people about what God has done for us. And it's a real decided decision that we have because grace seems like a huge risk. And often, when somebody's really messing up, we don't want to tell them about God's grace because somehow we're afraid that if people hear about God's grace, they're going to go crazy with it. And Sometimes, when you tell somebody about God's grace, there is a little bit of a backlash in their life. Because if they've been living under the law, and now you set them free from the law, sometimes they'll just start to experiment with their freedom a little bit, and do things that they really don't want to do, they aren't really productive, but that's the way grace is. Ultimately, grace is the only thing that can change your life other than making you more miserable. The law, religion, can certainly change your life. It'll pretty much destroy it. It will burden you down. If you want to add to people's burdens, then lay a big trip on them about how they need to change and how bad they are and everything that's wrong with them and manipulate them into making them feel guilty. But that will not bring about true righteousness ever. At the most, it'll bring about some kind of outward conformity, um, something motivated by fear of judgment. But that's always a dead end because I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how good you may be. It's not good enough. And someday you're going to look in the mirror and realize I've been living my life trying to be good enough and I can't. And it'll crush you ultimately. Grace has the power to change people's lives. And that's why the gospel is good news. That's why the Bible says it's, the, it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance. Often when I see somebody really messing up, my first tendency is, okay, God, really smite them, really nail them. Boy, they need to be slammed down to the ground so low that they'll be forced to look up to you. Now, there are some times when God slams someone 
as a last resort because they haven't been responding to his grace. But I try more when I know somebody, I hear somebody's not really walking with the Lord or they're messing up in some way. I, I, I try to go to the Lord and pray for them and say, God, please just overwhelm them with your grace. Because anyone who's walking in darkness, anyone who's walking in sin, is someone who doesn't understand what God has done for them, how much God loves them, how much he wants to work in their lives. And so um, it, is, it, it seems contrary to what our nature tells us because we got our nature from Adam who tried to be good. And we still have that inside of us. But here comes the new covenant and it says, hey, the slate is wiped clean. You are forgiven and you don't have to earn it. You always knew you couldn't anyway. You're set free. And you can experience God's mercy. And so to be able to share that with people is just the greatest gift in the world. And every one of us has some ministry to which God has called us that involves in one way or another sharing that message of grace. Because whatever, it, whatever else it is that you do in ministry, it has to be all about grace, or it's really not ministry. Now, it can be somebody who's uh, serving donuts and coffee after church on Sunday mornings. And we kind of joke about that a lot of times. And, and, but, you know, there's a way that you can help people and, and just, and, I, and I've seen our people who do this, they're so great. They're not like making you feel guilty for taking a donut. They're not reminding you of the nutritional information. They're, they're just like, hey, you know, one donut's not going to kill you. And they're being nice and friendly, and they keep the levels up on the water and the coffee and everything. And it, it seems like a small thing, but for somebody who's having a real rough week, that might be just what they need. They come and it's like, oh, and I don't drink coffee, but I appreciate how much it means to other people. And there are people who drink coffee who just, I see them change right before your eyes <laughs> when they get a cup of coffee. And so a ministry like that is a ministry of grace. Boy, I think of how our, the guys are now with all of our parking mess and everything. And I, and I think of how our ushers are being so kind to people and welcoming. The people who do the ministry at the doors of greeting people and the people who help you with getting your CDs and DVDs in the office, the people who answer the phones here during the week and those who pray with you after the services and everything. I, I look around at church and I just go, I see so much grace. I see this feels like a gracious place. And believe me, every place doesn't feel like that. But when each of us understands that we all have a ministry of grace, and how you perform your ministry determines whether or not it looks like grace, feels like grace, communicates grace. Any of the jobs that are involved in ministry could be done in a hard-nosed, you know, just push-em-around way. You know, even something like handing out shoeboxes in Pedregales, which we'll be starting up that outreach and getting geared up for that and ready for it. It's one of the greatest things, one of the most exciting things we do, giving Christmas presents to kids that wouldn't have any otherwise. But you could go down there and just get mean, get intimidated by the crowds, get a bad attitude. I've seen some people do that down there. And it's like, do you understand what this is about? And yet the people who are the hardcore ones, the ones that have been doing it for years, almost all of them, I see this amazing grace where they can't wait for the next opportunity to do this. Understanding what a blessing it is to give a present to somebody in the name of Jesus and, and to support a church in that way and to, to provide for these little kids. And it's so sad if you're serving God and not doing it in a gracious way. Because there's no reward for it. And God will still use you, but you're not gonna feel that sense of satisfaction that comes from just being a communicator of grace. And so Paul says, I don't fall apart. I don't lose heart. Because my ministry, 
and mercy. Then he says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame. He goes, I've made a change. I've determined, not that I don't sin anymore, but I've renounced it. I've said, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to live my life with the same values that that the world is, is enslaved to. We've renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Notice that there were people, and he was talking probably about specific people without mentioning them. There were some people who said they were ministers of the gospel, but they were doing it by craftiness and handling the word of God deceitfully. Um, Phonies. Not living that life of grace, but then wanting to share it with others for the wrong reasons, perhaps. Maybe even to profit or to make yourself look good. And sometimes it's from one day to the next when we serve God. We can become selfish in serving God, or we can truly be selfless. And, but Paul says, you know what? I left that lifestyle. I, I renounced those values. And so I do not want to take my mindset that I had before I came to Christ and bring that in to the way that I communicate grace. It just doesn't work. And it's, it's just so, um, it's so ridiculous to tell people about God's love and to say you're serving Jesus, but to have your worldly, selfish, sneaky, dishonest, phony attitude in the way that you serve God. And it's, it's really a shame. You know, over in Philippians, Paul talked about people who preach the gospel for the wrong reasons. And he said, you know, some of them are preaching Christ out of jealousy or even wanting to hurt me. But he said, I praise God because at least Jesus Christ is preached. So if anyone serves and they do it, but they're phony, okay, good, at least people get ministered to. There are some people who are ministers who have brought thousands of people to Christ and never knew him themselves. They were just living a double life. I've known several of these. Um, And the gospel gets preached, and that's great. If if you're preaching the truth, it's going to change people's lives. But it's just how sad when someone who is sharing the truth with others isn't really living that themselves. If we're living phony lives, if, it's, if we're pretending to be a way that we aren't, because, well, you know, I feel like it's my job, I gotta do it. Um, I'm worried about what people think if I don't do it. Often people will stay in positions of ministry when they should have backed out years ago and given themselves some breathing room and received God's grace so that then they could once again do it honestly. It's not that God can't use a phony. He does. It's a good thing he doesn't because we're all phonies to some degree. But the point is, make sure that you aren't justifying being a minister, but being the person that you used to be and saying, well, I'm just Irish, that's all. You know, or I'm just this, or, you know, I'm just that kind of a person, or I'm just that. No. You renounce your old way of doing things. And when you see your um, personal quirks that don't go along with grace coming into play, you repent right then. And you go, God, I have, I have renounced that. And I'm sorry that I'm, I'm acting that way. I'm sorry that I'm coming across that way. Often you won't even know you're doing it, um, but other people will notice. If someone really cares about you, they might call your attention to it. Probably not. More likely, somebody who hates you is going to call your attention to it. But I'm thankful for those, too. Because I just want to know if I'm not being real. I want to know if if sincerity isn't at the center of what I'm teaching. Because if it isn't, and if I'm just going, well, you know, I'm just that kind of person, and I don't care what you think, and, I, you know... 
I've renounced that. I've decided not to live that way anymore. And so he says, by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, I realize that God is watching me. And I realize that people are watching me. And I have a clear conscience. And if they could see my heart, they'll know I really mean what I'm saying. And, you know, so Paul took this seriously. He believed that his, the reality of his relationship with God was just as important as the message that he preached because he realized you preach a good message from a fake heart, maybe they'll benefit, but ultimately people will be stumbled and then you'll miss out on what God wanted to do because you didn't let him do it in your life. You can be telling people, man, you just need to be honest and open with God. You need to confess and, and just l- allow him to take the burden. And then you can be walk- walking around all wrapped up tight and, and not letting go of things yourself. And, and really, that it's, it comes down to, again, like in the end of the last chapter, what do you see really when you look in the mirror? What do you see when you evaluate your own life? Yeah, you, you're going to see things that still need work because God's not finished with you yet. But are you seeing that there's a reality of grace really working in your life? Are you just going through the motions and playing the game? Paul knew that people were watching him. He knew God was watching him. And so he said, if there's one thing I want to be, it's, it's real, sincere. But, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. This goes back to the previous chapter when he said the, that we can look with unveiled faces at the glory of God, but the children of Israel under the law had to have a veil to protect them from seeing God's glory. And, uh, and so, but he's saying there are still some people who don't get it. There are still some people who can't see it. And he says it's veiled to those who are perishing. Ultimately, to people who are never going to get it, for people who are never going to accept Christ, they're veiled. Why? Well, they're given a choice just like everyone else, but they've chosen not to let God tear that veil. But the point is, some people aren't going to see it. Don't expect that everybody you share with is going to get it. Some people just won't. And it's destroying them. They're perishing as a result of it, whose minds the God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They're resisting the truth. Satan has so fooled them that they think they don't need grace. They think they'll do okay without it. And so, they're making that choice to not because they don't want to know the truth. They don't want to see God. They really don't feel the need. They think they're okay on their own. And that's sad. And the only one who can deceive someone like that is Satan himself, the father of pride, the father of lies. And he does a good job at making people think they're okay. It's funny because a lot of times we think of Satan as someone who just wants to tear people down and make them feel miserable. But the truth is, Satan wants to cheer everyone up and make them feel good and watch them go to hell, watch their lives be destroyed while they're happily, merrily going on their way. And he is the God of this age. So we shouldn't be surprised that his kind of thinking is going to dominate culture and dominate society. And I think it's naive to think that somehow all of that's going to change as long as Satan is loose. Once Satan is bound during the millennium, a lot of things are going to be different. But there are people whose theology is such that they believe that Satan is bound now. (sighs) I wish somebody would tell him, (laughs) because he sure does have a field day sometimes. If If people can't see the truth, it's because he's preventing them from seeing the truth. And notice it says, the light of the gospel 
of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The image, it's the Greek word icon. An icon is something that's the visible representation of something that you can't see. And so he, he's, he's also called the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God that you can see. And the glory of his grace is what everyone needs desperately to focus on. And if Satan can blind us from the glory of the grace of Christ, then he can keep us from living the kind of lives that God wants us to live. He can cause us, even if we're Christians, if we can't see that grace, we begin to live lives of frustration and and. And we just, the harder we try, the worse it gets. And Satan loves that because we're not enjoying the freedom that Jesus paid for for us. We're not enjoying the glory at all. We put the veil back over us and we're like, I can't see God. Well, there are reasons why you can't see God. And focusing on the grace of God is what opens up that path and what lights that, that, it just lights up the glory of God. He says, uh, verse five, for we do not preach ourselves. Boy, that's good. <laughs> you know, some people preach themselves and I'm sure there are times when I get, you know, I tell a few too many stories about me most of my stories about me are making me look bad, so, but still, it's a little bit self-indulgent. Um, but Paul said, I'm not the message. And I would, I would say that, too. It's important for all of us to remember that. And when you go share with people who don't know Christ, or when you're trying to encourage someone who's a fellow Christian, remember it's not about you. We sometimes think, oh, I need to tell them about all my life and everything. Well, there's a place for that sometimes, but the only thing that I have that I can ultimately point people to is Jesus, his gospel, his grace. And so the sooner I jump from me to him, closer I am to bringing relief into their lives, to bringing them help. We don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. He says, look, it's not about me. I just work here. I'm just trying to serve God the best I can. If people are going to attack me, let them attack me. I just work here. They can talk to my boss if they want. And if he ever wants to fire me, he can do that. But as long as he continues to give me the call to, to share God's grace, then that's what I'm going to do. But if you, if you weaken what people think of me, that doesn't water down the gospel at all. It actually, like Paul said in Romans, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. If you want to put me down, then I would say, that's fine. Because that's just going to make it that much more amazing that God loves me and that God will use me. And, and for all of us, it's important to remember that because there's an amazing pressure that comes with thinking that it's about you. Ooh, I need to be, you know, make sure that I'm perfect before I do this, or I don't think I'm qualified to serve God, or I need to... <laughs> yeah, you're right. But it isn't about you. You're just a servant. You're just slave labor for his sake because he has shown grace on you, and you just want to let other people see how that works. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who in the beginning said, let there be light, and the universe came on fire, the same God takes that light of Jesus Christ and it hits you and there's the face of Jesus. You look at Jesus, you share with people about Jesus, and there's this glorious light. And it is only Jesus who can 
click that light on for people who are walking in darkness. And if you're a Christian, you know that that happened to you. Maybe it didn't happen suddenly. Maybe it was just like over a period of time, all of a sudden you're like, wow, things have really changed for me. I don't know exactly when this happened, but, but it's night and day, and I'm in the day now. And, and so he's just glorying in that, that that same God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When people, when we're saying it like we should, people will see Jesus. When they see him, they see glory. I don't like to get in arguments with people about church history or theology or you know, eschatology or whatever, because um, I just want to talk about Jesus. And if somebody has a reason for not you know, wanting to believe in Jesus, don't be stupid and do it because you don't see how a whale could swallow a guy. <laughs> don't be stupid and think, well, when you look at the four resurrection accounts, there seem to be some difficult you know, contradictions. How about looking at Jesus? What's your problem with him? He rose from the dead, okay? You can't find a flaw in him. People bet their lives to say, yes, I saw him after he died. We saw him go up into heaven. Paul, the most radical anti-Christian that there was in his time, something knocked him down on the road as he was heading to Syria. And that what, what, whatever he saw and what he heard convinced him that he was completely wrong. That all that he had studied and all that he had learned and those things he had killed for, now I'm going to subject myself to horrible treatment because my mind has been changed so radically. I saw a light. And I hope you've seen the light. I hope Christianity isn't just something that you kind of fell into because your friends go to church or your family did or you've always thought it you know, makes for a good life or whatever. I hope there's a time when you personally have seen the light and you've been touched by his grace. And it's something that when it happens, you just, you don't, you don't want to shut up about it. You want it to happen to other people too. And you realize, wow, for the first time in my life, I don't have to do anything to be worth something. And I don't have to earn anything. And it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me except God. And he says, I love you. You're my child. Um, that is the experience of a lifetime. Verse 7, but, there's always a but, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. See, the problem is we have this glorious message, this amazing spiritual reality, but we are the vessels that contain it. We are the ones who need to communicate it. And we are made of earth. We are made of dust. As you know, the Old Testament says, you know, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. We're flawed. And, and so how do you have a message like this in a flawed earthen vessel? And that's something that often, because of our awareness of our own earthenness, we sometimes reject carrying the message of glory because we're afraid that we're just not good enough to bear it. But look what Paul says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God chose fragile, flawed, sinful people with a, with a, with a purpose. See, if he wanted to, he could have, when you get saved, he could just take away everything that you, you, every flaw you have, every habit that you have, every tendency that you have. And sometimes we talk to people as if that's what happened. Or we let them know, don't, hey, you come to Jesus and everything's going to be fine overnight. Um, 
we realize doesn't work that way. The pressure to have it work that way is why Christians become so phony. Because it's like, I'm supposed to be a new creature and I'm still a mess, so I better just learn to fake it so I don't stick out in a crowd. But there's a reason why when he forgave our sins, he didn't make us so that we were sinless. Because he's, Paul says, God wouldn't get the glory. You'd get the glory. It would be about you. And sometimes this happens even when someone has a kind of a glamorous testimony. They really had a bad life and then, wow, God saved them and, and all these good things happened. And, and, you know, people think, wow, you're really something. That's awesome. <clears throat> something that when I was a new Christian, I kind of struggled with because God did. I mean, it was amazing how many bad things were in my life that could have killed me or ended me up in jail. And a lot of those things, boom, he just delivered from me overnight. The change was just glaring. Not because I'm so good, but because I was so bad. And people were noticing. Friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore. It was a, just a radical change. And some of you experienced similar things. But so often people wanted to hear my story because they kind of enjoyed hearing about all the bad things I used to do. And they were, glad, they were relieved that now I'm off the streets, you know, and I'm not doing those things anymore. And everybody likes to take credit for it, and everybody, people who I know hated my guts in my church that I grew up in would come up and say, we were praying for you all those years. And I felt like just saying, you're a liar. If, if anything, you were praying that I would leave. Because I know how much you hated me. I could feel it every time I walked into the place. But Everybody loves a turnaround. But nobody wants to accept the fact that you still have difficulties. And a lot of these kind of phony presentations of the gospel really wreaks havoc in the lives of honest people. The people who have the hardest time struggling with their walk with the Lord are generally the honest people. If you're a, a good phony, you could do fine. Kind of like George Burns one time at a graduation ceremony told the graduates, he said, the most important thing in life is sincerity. If you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> and I think the same thing in Christianity. If you can fake it, you'll be fine. Everybody will think you're fine. You'll convince yourself that you're fine. But people who are honest and they still see that they're that they haven't had victory in a certain area. And sometimes it's a stupid area. Like, you know, I, I, Pastor, I just, you know, I, I don't know if I'm really a Christian because I, I can't quit smoking. Come on. I mean, yeah, smoking's stupid, completely stupid. It has nothing to do with God. It's just stupid. Um, I've had people ask me, if I smoke, could I still go to heaven? I go, yeah, you'll get there sooner. <laughs> Pastor Chuck says, you know, if I, if, if I, if I uh, keep smoking, will I, still, will, will I go to hell? No, but you'll smell like it. But, <laughs> but like, why is that? You know, why do we treat that as such a defeat where there are people who think, I don't think I'm really saved because I can't quit smoking? Well, nobody who's gossiping feels that way. Nobody who's eating Doritos feels that way. It's like we, we pick and we choose. And so the honest people are the ones that get hurt because they know in their heart they're doing something. They're still struggling with an area of sin. They can't tell anybody about it because they think other Christians don't struggle. And so we breed this culture whereby the, the healthiest thing to do is just to fake it. But that's not healthy. And it's so important. And so many times when I'll have people say, you know, I've accepted the Lord four times and I just, you know, I'm still having trouble once in a while with drinking. And drinking is a stupid thing to do. There isn't one good reason for drinking that I can think of. But it's not the unpardonable sin. And often when I talk to someone like that, I go, well, tell me what else God is doing in your life. And they can rattle off 
30 radical changes that God has done in their life, but because they're still struggling with this one habit, and because that's one that we culturally define as being like the worst thing in the world, the unpardonable sin, they just think God's not doing anything. And it's so important for us to see what God is doing, because He is doing a lot. You give your life to Him, He does a lot. At the same time, none of us are going to be perfect until we see Jesus. You know, beloved, John said in 1 John, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we'll see Him as He is. Until that time, hey, we're a mess in a lot of different ways. Each of us a mess in different ways. So we shouldn't be making lists of rules that make you a greater mess because I don't have that problem, therefore that's something really bad that excludes someone. No, grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And we need to recognize that and see what God is doing in our life and realize that, you know, we need to renounce the works of darkness. We certainly need to say, there are a lot of stupid things in my life, and I'm saying, I don't want to do that. Don't carry those over into your Christian life as much as possible, but realize always, you're not the message. Jesus is. And if you can share Jesus, I know people who have led lots of people to Jesus, and they're not walking with him now. But I praise God, the people that they shared with got saved, so somehow the message came across. If there's anyone in your life that if they messed up or they fell or they fell away from the Lord, it would cause you to leave the Lord, then you got an idol. The message is not about us. The message is about Jesus, and that's the only flawless message that we have. And so we need to stick with that. It's a good one. And so he says, the excellence of the power is of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side. That word for hard-pressed refers to being in a crowd that's just almost suffocating you. If you've ever been on public transportation in Asia, you can appreciate this. It's so funny. It's one of the reasons why we don't have public transportation very successfully, at least here in California. Because if you're going to make it efficient, you've got to cram people in there. I mean, you can't give everybody a comfortable seat that reclines and everything. That's just not efficient. And, but man, in, in California... If a stranger brushes up against you, you're like pulling out your rape whistle and you know, going to report them or something because we're so paranoid about human contact. We have this kind of three-foot rule that nobody gets too close to us. And I'm the same way. But it's funny, you go over to Asia and you just better lose that because people are just crushed up against you, touching you, even like you know, feeling your hair because you're different than they are and whatever. And you just, or even like with some of the bigger guys, would, people would go up and rub their stomach. But it's like, they don't have that, that thing. You know, they don't have that same uh, spatial orientation that we have. Um, but, the way, but what he's talking about is, there are times when we feel like we're just, there's no space. We're, we're being hard-pressed on every side yet we're not crushed. You survive. You're able to get off the train. And in some of these countries I've been to, you, to get off the train, just lift your feet up. And you just, they just carry you right off. <laughs> and you go, hmm, I'm okay. We are perplexed. In other words, we don't know what's going on. We look at our lives and what's happening and we're like, I don't get this. But we're not in despair. We're not freaking out. We're not letting our perplexity lead us into, you know, absolute frustration. We don't let it go there. 
We're persecuted. Boy, was he. But we're not forsaken. I know that God is with me when I'm going through difficult times. Even if no one else is, I'm not forsaken. We're struck down. You're going to get knocked down, but not destroyed. You can get back up. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He says, Jesus is our Lord. We follow him. We say we're Christians, followers of Christ. Now, he got beaten. He was treated horribly. He was killed. Probably going to happen to us too. The reason we live the Christian life is because we know that death isn't the end. The truth is, if you were born a human, which I think most of you look like is a pretty safe bet, um, you've been dying your whole life. It really never gets as good as when you're a baby. Everything else is wearing out. Now, oh, maybe, you, you know, maybe things were improving in some ways, you're developing strength and skills and things like that for a while. But at some point, you hit that spot. Whether it's 30, 40, 50. I haven't hit it yet. I'm thinking it'll be when I'm 70. But you just start to realize, I'm dying. I'm wearing out. It does give you a cool perspective. Because the older you get, the more willing you ought to be to get out of these bodies. And the more people who are special to you are gone. They're in heaven, and you want to be with them. And so you get this different perspective. Paul's saying, this is how it works. The death of Christ isn't something that we aren't going to do too, most of us. There will be some people alive, I believe, at the rapture who will be taken up and not taste death. There are a couple people in the Old Testament who probably didn't taste death. Um, one for sure, uh, Enoch, but possibly Elijah also. But, um, you know, he, he says, the reason why I'm not completely freaking out when I'm getting banged around and, and smacked in the head and I'm getting pushed by, in all different directions, the reason why that's not getting to me is I'm carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. There are some ways in which the only way people will ever see Jesus is if they see us suffer. If they see how much we can take and keep plodding along and keep pushing through. And they see that and it's an amazing testimony. When things are going really well for you, it's hard to witness because people go, easy for you to say. But when you go through trials and you're still talking about Jesus and you're still faithful to him, you'll still serve him, people just go, that's weird. I'd quit if I was you. And they have to deal with the reality. And, and in a way, it's the greatest opportunity for them to see reality when they see the life of Christ, as, as we are dying in our flesh, they see us growing in the Spirit. And to me, the, the greatest examples I've ever seen of true, godly reality and character in someone's life is in someone who knows they're dying. I've seen some people who don't handle it very well. But I've seen a lot of people who just seem to get that dying grace. And, uh, you know, Gene in our church is one person who's that way. I just am amazed. And I, and I praise God so much. Because I see more life in her. Another gal in our church, Lynn, who's, who's in the same situation, but she's been bedridden for a long time. I, I see so much life in her. She knows she's going to see Jesus any day now. I think of people that I've, that I've seen go to be with the Lord after struggling with the disease for a long time, a little boy named Johnny Mizriki that 
went to school at Calvary, and he was just this little angel of a kid, real spunky kid, and normal kid, but man, I've never done a funeral, I don't think, where I was more certain of where that kid was than his, because I just saw Jesus in him. And we have that opportunity, and it's so sad when we don't get this, when we, we think that somehow, oh, if people see me flawed, you know, then the message isn't going to work. Because we've been programmed to believe that the message is a message of earthly success and glorious health, and it isn't. Anybody can be fine while they're healthy. Let somebody get sick and you'll find out what they're made of. And ultimately, that's when Jesus Christ shines the loudest. Now, are we willing to endure difficulties in order to show the life of Jesus? And it seems like a tough question until you realize it's going to be difficult whether you do it or not. It's like somebody was trying to talk me out of, well, really encouraging me. You don't need to go to church tonight, you know, because um, I'm sick and, uh, you know, I've been through a lot. But it's like I said, yeah, I could sit at home for two hours and see nothing happen and feel lousy. I could come to church and feel lousy and share about my Savior and give out glorious truth. And I said, besides, it's a passage that deals with suffering. It would just be too ironic if I stayed home watching The Ultimate Fighter you know, <laughs> instead of coming to church. But there needs to be a point where we understand that we embrace suffering, that we welcome it. Because when, like we're going to see later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God, the Lord said to Paul, you got to figure this out. When you're weak, I'm strong. My strength is perfected in your weakness. And it's the same for you. Going through a tough time right now, maybe your you know, job isn't going well or you don't have a job or things just aren't adding up and your health isn't good and family's going through hard times and everything and it's like, you know, either embrace that and say, Jesus knows what that felt like. He suffered, and he died, and I'm his. And he rose again, and I'm going to too. And if this kills me, I'm going to be in heaven victoriously knowing that I stuck with my message, which was Jesus. And, and so this is, what Paul, this is what allowed Paul to not become just completely overwhelmed is that he realized there's meaning to your suffering. It's connected to Christ in some way. And every bit of suffering that you do is something that you have an opportunity to do it for him. Even if the suffering comes because you did something stupid, makes some dumb decision, it's still an opportunity to show the glory of Jesus by continuing to trust him and to show his grace to receive his grace when it hurts. It hurts no matter what. So why not make the best of it? I, I mean, I'd rather not hurt, but if I hurt, I don't want to hurt for nothing when I could be hurting for something. And that was Paul's, that was the key to him really connecting with not losing it. So then death is working in us, but life in you. He goes, see how it works? I'm kind of dying, but it's inspiring you, and you're getting new life. And you'll, you'll make an impression on people. Um, if, if with your death, I've had lots of people when I've done funerals and had people come to know the Lord, and the person who died had been sharing with them for years. But something about the way they died touched them in a way that nothing else could. And now they said, I, you know, I want to go be with them. That, this has got my attention. And so Paul goes, I'm willing to die if it means you get to live. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. That's a quote from Psalm 116. He says, we also believe and therefore speak. Now, 
Yeah, yeah, turn over there real quick. Psalm 116. In Psalm 116, David is talking about how good God is despite how much pain he was in. And he says in verse 1, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Look at what he's done for you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. But then he says, I'm greatly afflicted. And I said in my haste, all men are liars. But then what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I'll take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord, and so on. A beautiful chapter where David almost seems schizo because he's like going, oh, God's so good, but oh, man, am I miserable? And oh, God's just wonderfully saved me and shown his grace to me, but all oh, people are just jerks. And going back and forth, but, he, but basically what David is saying is, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm being honest with you. I'm being honest with you when I tell you I'm confused. I'm being honest with you when I tell you I hurt. But I'm also being honest with you when I tell you that God is worth all of that. He's greater than all of that. And so Paul, as David said, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And We believe and speak. I'm shooting straight with you knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. He goes, we know about resurrection. Because we know about resurrection, what matters so much about what goes on down here? It just doesn't. We're all going to die. But those who know Jesus will, will beat it. Beat the rap. For all things are for your sakes. I look and I do this stuff and I think it's for you. In order that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. He said, if I can suffer and show grace and you get that message of grace, you really understand the gospel, then I'm one guy who's had to go through a tough time. And a bunch of people get set free. And he goes, how is that not a good deal? Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't lose it. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He goes, this, you know, whatever we endure down here is just a flash in the pan. Our whole life is just like a, a vapor. It's just a, a little blink in time. Compared to eternity, compared to the time that we will spend with Jesus Christ forever and ever, the pain is short. No matter how, I mean, he had been through a lot. But he goes, in the perspective of eternity, this isn't much. It's light affliction. It's only for a moment. But man, it's working a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He said, what God is doing is heavy. One of the Old Testament words for glory, the word kabod, is a word that means heaviness. It's a sense of, do you realize how heavy this is? Do you realize how substantial, how much mass is involved? Not mass like 
Catholic Church. Um, you know, how much volume is involved in what God has done for us? And he says, the little bit of stuff we go through down here is going to pay off in such amazing magnitude that it will weigh so much in eternity that you'll never be in heaven going, oh, why did I get sick that day? Why did I have to lose my job? Are you kidding me? The only thing was you might be embarrassed that you made such a big deal about it. Most of the time with what happens to us, and it's like, yeah, we can complain about it. Well, I feel so sorry for myself. We're not enduring anything like what Paul endured. And he said, my stuff is nothing compared to the weight of glory, compared to the payoff in eternity, compared to what this means to God. And every day that you suffer and give him glory and just are aware of his grace, do you understand that makes an eternal difference in a huge way, a huge way. Your suffering is your greatest opportunity to be used by God. It's, I know for Myrene, she's, you know, God uses her in amazing ways, but never more than when she had cancer. I mean, that defined her. Because nobody's going to wonder, are you real or not? <laughs> because she faced something that would just be a terror, and I'm sure it was for her, and yet we saw how she reacted to it. She was praising God and rejoicing in Him and like, hey, if I go to heaven, that's fine. And, I, and do you know what that's worth in heaven? To laugh about that, to celebrate that, and to, to find out the people in heaven who are in heaven because of that testimony? Your best setup for a testimony, a real testimony, is hard times, pain, and difficulty. And what the devil wants you to do is to go through that for nothing. Nobody's going to get saved if they see you going through pain and whining about it and complaining and constantly you know, moping and saying you don't want to live anymore. That's why it's really sad when people, sometimes they get so overwhelmed with their situation that they're just uh, dumping it on everybody and they're falling apart. You just wasted an opportunity for the weight of glory. I don't want to waste any of those opportunities for glory. Your moment of glory is when it does hurt. And when you don't know, and when you are pressed, and when your back is against the wall, that's your opportunity to shine with the glory of God. And I praise God. I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for every person that I have a chance to minister to, and some of them are really crushed. And I get that, and I love encouraging them and praying for them and everything, but I, I just have such a burden that we wouldn't let life crush us, that we would be heroic and find the glory even in the middle of pain. And you can start that tonight. You can make that decision at any time that if I'm going to hurt, I want glory. Eternal weight of glory for Jesus Christ. I want the gospel to be clear. I remember a comedian years ago, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about the guy who took last place in the Olympics uh, running the marathon. And they're going, man, he went to all that work. He trained as hard as anyone. And, and uh, you know, he represented his little country, and he came in last. And he goes, do you think that guy is thinking, I came in last, and I worked hard, trained hard. Did I could have just eaten little chocolate donuts and come in last. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, for all of us. I, don't, I just don't want to work and to go through pain for nothing. I want the glory. I want the glory to go to him, but I, I, I appreciate if it gets reflected off me, and I know I have a, get to have a role in helping somebody else see the glorious truth. And so the pain, 
It's there. And don't be superstitious. There are some people who think, oh, if you say, hey, I'm, I'm willing, God, I'm doing fine now, but if you want to bring pain in my life, go ahead. And people are like, oh, don't say that. Don't worry. That's silly. It doesn't have, bad things are going to happen. They don't need you to do some superstitious thing in order for it to happen. But if we make up our minds while we're feeling pretty decent, that the next time we're going through a hard time, feeling pressed and, and like we're going to be crushed, we go, you know what? Next time I'm going to get the glory for God. And I'm going to, I'm going to shine grace and mercy when I'm in the middle of my trial. And I'm not going to just whine and complain. Much as I can, I, I want to let people know that, yeah, this is nothing compared to eternity. And he says finally in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to put our eyes on what lasts. And let's not spend too much time whining around about things that don't last. Let's look at what God is doing that is going to last. And that's what faith is. It's it's getting a a grip on eternity. As, as Paul says, and we'll get to it later, I spoke at the men's retreat about it, um, laying hold on eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. In other words, get a grip on the significance of eternity and the reality of eternity. And when we do that, um, life here changes radically. It's not going to get worse. God's not going to do that to you. You'll enjoy the good times, and you'll actually appreciate the opportunities that come with the rough times as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for eternity. Thank you for giving us a Savior who's been there, who comes from there, and who promises to take us with him. And Lord, please help us to learn to live our lives for eternal values. God, there are people here today I know who are suffering through all sorts of things. Economic stress, bad job situations, no job, separation from loved ones, dealing with the pain of a loved one dying, going to be with you, physical ailments, spiritual struggles, emotional strains, pain. But God, I pray that you would help each of us to see all of that in light of eternity and to allow ourselves to die a little at a time, but to make sure that the message of life comes through loud and clear to everyone who knows us and sees us. Thank you for going first, Lord Jesus, for dying and rising. Help us to begin the process of resurrection even as we are deeply involved in the process of dying. And help us to give other people the opportunity to respond to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.